Good morning. It's Monday, July 3rd, 2023. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Cantor Managed ETF Portfolios, a business of Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors. Happy Independence Day, everybody. I hope you had a good weekend. I hope you have an even better 4th of July celebration tomorrow. Uh, as a quick reminder, if you're seeing this or hearing this, this is designed for use by both investors and financial advisors. Each, however, are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in the presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. This is purely for informational purposes only. We had a fantastic week. Uh, last week in equity prices and to some degree fixed income prices to end the quarter on a high note and the first half of 2023 on a high note. Looking at the right-hand column, the S&P 500 up almost 17% year to date. What's not on here is NASDAQ. The NASDAQ Composite Index is up more than 30% year to date. Pretty amazing considering the fact that we've been in a rate hiking cycle removing liquidity from the market through Fed balance sheet shrinkage. All of this going on, manufacturing's been in a slump for the better part of the year, uh, and yet equity markets are propelling themselves higher. We're gonna to get to why after we get through some of last week's economic data that helped to propel and drive the market further higher. We're gonna start with durable goods, for the month of May. They were expected to be down. They were actually up 1.7%. When you look at durable goods, you see here that it's a, uh, what I would call a pretty volatile series. A lot of ups and downs, and a couple of downs doesn't really mean the end of the world. Now here we had three out of four months on cherry picking, but now look, you know, the last three up, up, up. Take out transportation, which can cause some of that volatility. The durable goods order is still up six tenths of a percent. Um, so a very solid number there, even though manufacturers have been in a slump. So the market's looking through some of the, uh, the PMIs and looking at some of the numbers like durable goods. We got a lot of data last week on residential real estate. Residential real estate is important for so many reasons. It's a major balance sheet component to Americans, which therefore makes it a major determinant ultimately of consumer behavior, spending behavior, uh, in April, FH, FHFA, Federal Housing Finance uh, Agency, house prices gained seven-tenths, more than expected, and they are up 3.1% year-over-year, looking at the red line on the right-hand side, that's right at 3.1% year-over-year. So despite significantly higher interest rates, because the jobs market remains strong, the housing market remains strong. S&P Shiller Home Price Index shows somewhat similar results. They say that homes are up 0.9% in April, more than double the estimate, but they're actually down slightly year over year. Now, FHFA are homes financed with one of the agency-sponsored mortgages. S&P Shiller includes all homes, some of the higher-end homes, higher interest rates, a little bit less availability of mortgages on that, on that more expensive end of the spectrum is probably what caused that, di that difference between the up three and the down 1.7. New home sales had a big surprise reading. Look at this over here on the right. New home sales surged 
2.2% to an annualized rate of 763,000. I spoke to some mortgage folks last week who told me that there's a, even though the rates are higher for a lot of folks, there's a lot of um, buying down of rates. So pay a point or two and get the rate lower, pay more, get the rate lower. Um, even with prices remaining firm, uh, folks are willing to do that to lock in that lower rate for longer. And don't forget, somewhere around a third of all single family, whether it's new or uh, previously owned homes, are currently sold for cash anyway. And that's a pretty high number. It was around 23% back in 2020 when rates were essentially near zero. We're up somewhere between 30 to 35%, I'd say, now of home sales are for all cash. Therefore, the interest rate calculation does not come into that buying decision. Pending home sales uh, have dropped a little bit in May, down 2.7. But remember, the FHFA and the Case-Shiller home price were for April. Uh, here, people are citing the higher mortgage rates, lack of inventory. Uh, but that lack of inventory is what's keeping the prices high. If you're in a home and you have a locked-in low interest rate, you're probably not willing to sell it. Therefore, that to, in order to move up or change, Therefore, there's uh, less inventory, which is maintaining those higher prices. We got uh, consumer confidence last week from the conference board. Say We say we, Americans, are a little more confident than we've been really since early 2021. So things are coming back there, rose from 102.5 to 109.7, well above consensus estimates and well above the lows here of the, the COVID shutdowns at about 80 uh, back in the day. We had initial jobless claims, which I've been talking to you about for some time. They've been trending higher, getting closer to that 300,000 range. They came all the way back to 239,000. But remember, this was for the week that included the shortened, uh, there's a short week, Juneteenth holiday. Uh, I'm not dismissing the, totally the fact that it dropped um, down from 265 to 239. And the estimate was for 265, they're not 365. Continuing claims fell a little bit from 1.76 to 1.74. Here was the big, big up surprise, upward surprise uh, last week. First quarter GDP, that's the quarter that ended March 30th, not second quarter, which just ended on Friday. We get preliminary reports and then we get several revisions. The revision was big, it went from 1.3 to 2.0. Now, don't, I'm not going to forget that I said, I think we are in recession and it started in March. We'll be getting a second quarter preliminary report soon. That's based on my view of manufacturing. And I have to admit, I'm quite surprised by the resilience and strength, the continued resilience and strength, the labor market, the stock market for that matter, is continuing to uh, go higher. Uh, and whether or not maybe manufacturing can turn before or it infects and brings down the service sector, which is more, which is a much bigger portion of our economy. What caused that revision higher? Personal consumption expenditures revised from up 3.8 to 4.2. That's a big, both of those are big numbers. And 4.2% annualized growth in the first quarter in the personal consumption expenditures is great. If the jobs market is strong, if people are working, people spend. This was the largest quarterly gain in newly, nearly two years for personal consumption expenditure, despite more negative prints 
on, uh, on manufacturing PMIs. Personal income and spending for the month of May, which is a second quarter component, uh, rose four tenths of a percent, beat expectations. Personal spending up two tenths, beat expectations. So merrily along we continue to go. All the while we are heartened and enthused by the fact that inflation continues to get lower. Nobody ever thought after this would go from here all the way back to the Fed's target of 2%, which is here uh, in a month or a quarter. It's taking time, but we're clearly seeing with delays the impact of the Fed policy, Fed policy of raising interest rates, Fed policy of rolling off its balance sheet. We have negative year-over-year M2 growth, that's money supply growth. The fiscal restraint that has been mandated by the uh, debt limit deal to contain discretionary fiscal spending. But if you wanted to be a little half empty here and be concerned, you'd find it right here in this red line. It's coming down not as quickly as the other, not as the headline. Now, we always expect headline to be more elastic. That's why we measure core but we really need to see this, this core PCE number start getting down to the, you know, in the low fours and then into the mid threes. That is what's keeping a lot of people continuing to believe that the Fed may raise rates one more time, even two more times, even this year, and that the pause is not the pause before they start to cut from a weak economy. It's just a pause to let the pot, let the, markets and the realities catch up with the policy that's already been implemented. We got a regional PMI from Chicago. This is a manufacturing PMI. It was up, but it was still 41.5. This is horrible. Uh, you know, these uh, PMIs below 50, there's 50, is contraction. So we've been in contraction in manufacturing in Chicago for a year. Uh, that's a lot more than we had during the recession here back in 2020. Uh, new orders were up a little bit, but still in contraction. Production rose, but in contraction. And employment remained in contraction in the Chicago region. Despite all that, we consumers, I mentioned Conference Board, uh, University of Michigan sentiment reading higher, 59.2 to 64.4. That beat expectations, current conditions ahead of expectations. Um, why? The resolution of the debt ceiling and the softening of some of the inflation numbers are making consumers feel a little better. Let's not forget the fact that the 401k balances are higher. That aids in consumption and sentiment and home values continue to go up. That also aims, aids in consumption and sentiment. So just how good has this market been this year? There's an old expression on, uh, in our industry on Wall Street that markets climb a wall of worry. And that is, we list all the things that are wrong, all the things that are bad, we worry about them, and the market continues to go higher. I always say that, you know, the definition of a bull market is when uh, you have bad news and things go higher. That's kind of what we've had. We've had weak manufacturing, earnings are stagnant to sometimes lower, uh, Fed's raising rates, money supplies contracting, war in Europe, and the markets go higher. How much higher have they gone? Well, the case of the S&P 500 through about 20 minutes ago when I printed this chart, up about 17% for the year. Look at the NASDAQ, 32. 
small stocks, six uh, small stocks, mid cap stocks rather, 9.2, small cap stocks, 6.7. It's like the international and the emerging markets didn't come through. So the real question is, uh, are earnings going up to justify this? And gosh, if, if big companies, NASDAQ and S&P 500 have done so well, is it time to add perhaps to small and mid because they've lagged so much and maybe they could catch up, especially if we're going into an expansion cycle? Well, if we were going into an expansion cycle, I think you'd see better performance, right? This is going back to my argument that we're in this mild, low-grade uh, recession. Look, at, look here, for example, at this chart, which shows the difference between the PE of the S&P 500, which is large companies, it's at 21.3 right now, and we subtract the PE of the small S&P 600, small cap index, that's at 16, you have a number here that's over five. So you're paying more for large companies, but historically, small companies would tend to grow more. So historically, wouldn't you pay more for more growth? Well, it depends. If you're concerned about the economy, you're concerned about growth and earnings, you might want to try to find safety in the large. Safety in the large, and that's sort of driving up and creating this imbalance. Will it catch up again? Yes. Look at all these times when that difference was negative, right? Here's the zero line. So most of the time, it's a higher PE for small cap. Is this an opportunity? Yes. Is it going to uh, come to fruition and return nice gains to investors if they do it today? I don't know because we're trying to figure out where we are on this recessionary line and when in fact we'll go to more expansion. So maybe it's when the Fed's really done cutting rates uh, and maybe even start <laughs> hiking rates and maybe even starting to cut rates. We don't know, but there's an opportunity that is percolating and that could be in small cap domestic stocks. But we wanna go further, we wanna do more analysis, we wanna do more research. Look at these two graphs, right? Large cap S&P 500 earnings estimates since they peaked back about a year ago, earnings are showing about down about almost 5%. But small cap earnings down about 19%. That's where that sort of negative growth or recessionary-ish type of thing is happening. Yet, crazily, large cap, big names, thank goodness, that's where we're invested and over-invested. And you see our, if you look in your portfolio, you see the position in the NASDAQ uh, QQQ and the SPX or the IVV for large cap S&P 500. We've We've got the call right. We're happy about that. But we're wondering, when, when does this turn? And do these earnings of large companies roll over further? Or are they stabilize and start to go higher when the Fed's done? And then what about small cap? If those, earnings, those earnings could rebound in a big way. And if we could go from $75 a share on the small cap index to $100 a share in three or four years, and buy them at a cheaper multiple, and be patient, could that turn out to be a good long-term investment for us? Yes, determining the entry point is obviously the art of uh, figuring this all out. So why do stocks continue to go up? Well, we just got a quick list for you. The Fed is at or near the end of the rate height cycle. We know that. They've already paused. Inflation is turning lower. 
which is bullet number two, inflation is turning lower. It is not yet at the Fed's target for price stability. They define price stability as 2% inflation. By my math, price stability is 0% inflation and your currency is very strong, but we do need to increase the money supply every year to facilitate growth in the economy. Why they chose 2%, and that's relatively new, by the way. That was always the case with places like the European Central Bank. But when Fed Chairman Ben Bernanke left, that was his parting gift to Janet Yellen, who maintained that gift and handed it off to Jerome Powell. That 2% is how they, what they call stable. Uh, the debt ceiling deal was bigger than I think uh, we all talk about or we all give it credit for because it limits growth of discretionary spending over the next two years. And it does substantial, uh, it has substantial benefits to the long-term viability of the United States of America treasury from a financial perspective. We should not at all discount the impact, the inflation, not wrong term, inflating of asset price impacts uh, of artificial intelligence, looking at stocks like Microsoft, some of the big, one of the biggest companies in the world up massively this year, robotics and 5G. We can never underestimate innovation in the US economy. It has this way because of our protection of capital formation, our protection of contracts, our research universities, our availability of capital um, to invest in new innovative technologies is better than anywhere in the world. And that is having a major impact right now we have a divided government. We all know that our two parties are sort of, they get polar <laughs> in, their, in their views and attitudes on things they want to do. If one party gets in absolute power, meaning Senate, House, White House, they can do a lot of things. We do have that final check and balance, which is a Supreme Court, but right now we do have uh, you know, a divided government so we, we know the rules aren't going to change. The major big rules of taxation and regulation cannot change. We are still benefiting from the capital formation aspects of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017, which significantly lowered the corporate income tax rate. That has not changed. Russia's lack of progress. Remember in February of 22, when Russia invaded Ukraine, the market took a little bit of a leg down. We didn't know if we'd be being pulled into World War III. It's still possible, but it's far less likely today than it was six months ago. And despite the slump in manufacturing that I've been talking about, the service sector continues very strong. Air people are flying on planes, they're staying in hotels, they're booking cruises, they're going on experiences, they are dining out, all in a very, very big way because they have jobs, the labor market is strong. Well, that's it for this week, folks. Have a great Independence Day holiday. Take a minute and read the Declaration of Independence. I think it'll bring you satisfaction this week. And of course, subscribe to our podcast, which you're listening to right now. Thank you and have a great week.